Thank you. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? We're so happy to have you here coming to church when there's a long weekend. You must be the holiest of holies if you're here. Um, uh, but yeah, if you don't know me, my name's Maddie. Um, I hang out a lot normally over here. Shout out to Zoe for playing today so I didn't have to play and speak, you know. Remember I was saying that maybe I should give it a go, but I think it would be the longest message ever because I'm not that good. I'd be like, okay, hold on. Here's one sentence, and now I'm thinking about the chord that I'm going to change to, so give me another second. So it would probably be, we'd probably be here for over an hour, and I don't want to do that to you, so we're not doing that this morning. Um, it's been a great morning so far. I hope you've been enjoying um, the new songs that we've been bringing through lately as part of the worship team. We've really been trying to think of um, words and songs that are in season as well as the preaching that's in season, because it really breaks something apart when you're worshipping what you're reading, what you're praying it really gets into you in a different way so I hope you've been enjoying that but otherwise yeah I'm part of the youth team as well um doing year nines to thirteens um on a Wednesday night and that's always fun we had youth ex last week which was so so good um we had a bunch of new faces there and um this is just from like a almost like a parent point of view I was really happy to see that because youth events that we used to run in the past um when we had a bunch of new kids come all of our kids that kind of knew what to do, to raise their hands and worship, to pray, to things like that, would kind of get scared off and be like, oh, I don't want that person to look at me like a weirdo. But this time that didn't even phase them really. They were kind of like, oh, well, you're here, you're doing what we're doing, so I'm just going to do what I normally want to do. And so that was really encouraging to see. So if you have a young person, um, yeah, it was cool. They got to play Mario Kart and they still worshipped God, so that was good. Um, anyways, today we're starting a new series and that's called um, Our Happy Place. Um, and basically this series will be covering the idea of being in right friendships and living in community and that being our most happy places. And if you're an introvert this morning, you're probably disagreeing with me heavily. Um, but it's through, there's some, there's been some studies done by the, um, I can't even remember what they're called, but there'll be a slide later that tells you, um, that talks about how uh, we, as people, as human beings, we're actually at our happiest when we're living in community, when we have people to celebrate with, when we have people to um, mourn with, when we have people to grieve with, when we have people to pick us up when we're down, when we have people to give us encouragement, when we're around others, we're actually at our happiest place. And Jesus also states that we, the church, are a family, we're full of love, belonging, and acceptance, and shouldn't a place like that truly be our happiest? Um, and it's what the God is what God is calling the church to be. So I think it's important that we as a church be getting friendships right. Um, that's all God wants from us is friendship. He has everything he could ever have in the world, all the power, all the everything, and yet he still wants your friendship. There is value in friendships. And if we're not getting it right as a church, I don't think there's any hope for anybody else in the world to be getting friendships right. Um, and so you can see I'm pretty um, passionate about friendships. I believe friendships are the most important thing we can have in life. It's not like, because we can have a great relationship with your spouse, but your spouse can't be the be-all and end-all of all your issues. Otherwise, I think a divorce might be coming. Um, and it's not our relationships, it's not our academic success, and it's not even our relationships with our family. It's actually the relationships that we have with others, our friendships that 
are the best thing for us. When we get friendships right, they set us up for success in every single area. But when we get them wrong, we'll experience more pain and destruction in our life than ever. They're a big deal. Um, Dad, my whole life has been growing up saying the same thing to me every time there was a oh, I don't know about this friendship or a friendship drama. This is the one word he'd always say to me, the one quote, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I think that's because truly, and this is really cheesy of me to say, and I say it to our young people all the time and they're always like, mm, that's so dumb. But it's so true. We're one friend away from changing our destiny. And I think that's because humans had actually been suffering in relational poverty. What does that mean? There's three types of poverty. Have them on the screen. Beautiful. Um, there's material poverty. That's stuff that we often think about all the time. You know, money, clothes, houses, cars, things like that. Things that material wealth that we can get. And that material poverty often comes in the mindset of I'm missing things. I'm missing stuff in my life. Then there's spiritual poverty. That's something's missing. There's a passion that's missing, a spark. Maybe you've lost some purpose, whatever. That saying when people often say, I'm missing something. There's something in my life that I'm missing that's not there. Or there's relationship, uh, relational poverty. That's when that's that feeling of loneliness, that feeling of emptiness. That's that feeling of I'm missing someone. And um, in a study, can you put the next one? I can't remember what they're called. There we go. Statistics from Survey Center on American Life. They said that the average adult only has two close friends. 25% say they actually have absolutely none. One or two friends cannot be all that we depend on. They can't fulfill every need. Your spouse can't fulfill every need. Your kids can't fulfill every need. Your Parents can't fulfill every need. We actually need a community around us. One of my favorite comedians has this joke where she says um, that your spouse is like, you know when people are like, oh, my husband or my wife, they're my best friend or they're my bestie. She was like, that's such a lie. The best friend is the person you complain to your spouse about your spouse to. That's actually who your true best friend is. So um, you already need another friend to be able to complain about your spouse. So you already need at least one. Um, but no, um, at this point, I could go into the, I guess, the importance of community for a number of different reasons, but I think what is best for us in this context and something that's really been speaking to me for a while is that community is actually a really important part of atonement. Community is actually a really important part of getting our life together, of staying I'm putting my old life aside and getting into this new one or I'm making up for the wrongs that we have in our lives. And I read this book recently. Um, it's pretty dang on on what it talks about by Scott McKnight and it's got a community called Atonement. And it talked about this and focused on this forgotten reason of why community is most important. They actually showed how community is important in the action of making amends for our wrongs or making amends for injuries or making amends for everything. And especially how in the context of our faith, proving community significance and importance in the reconciliation of humankind with God. 
through Jesus Christ, who was both man and both God. You know, he was the purpose, the point of that reconciliation. And the community that Jesus built around him is also the point of that reconciliation. And that's because our friends impact our future and our friends change our destiny. Proverbs 13.20 says, Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. You know, I'm going to name all these right, real obvious verses we hear all the time. Proverbs 12.26, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. First Corinthians 15.33, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I could pull out my phone and look up the word friend on the Bible app, and there'll probably be like 20 different proverbs all about friendships, because friendships is actually so important. And I think it brings us to a tension in our life, and one that I've talked a lot about with our young people, but I think we kind of switch and like push it aside when we become adults. But there's a true tension and problem that we come across with all these different verses and the way we're called to live our life. Our problem is, how do we walk alongside those that need God while making sure that we're also in tune with God at the same time? You know, I said in that verse before, bad company corrupts good character, yet we're called to be like Jesus, who is the friend of sinners. We're told not to be unequally yoked, but we're told that we also need to be the light of the world. We're told that we need to walk with the wise to become wise, but then also if we walk with fools, that will become a fool, but also like walk with them. <laughs> and we kind of get to this awkward tension. And the I guess the question that we come across is, do we reach out or do we pull in and protect ourselves? And the answer is yes. The answer is both. Jesus loved everyone equally, but he didn't allow everyone equal access. I think Scott Booknight's book really outlined how our inner circle can help us overcome what I want to call um, be calling blind spots in our lives, and they stop us from getting swept up in the world rather than influencing it. And so what is a blind spot? This is part of what we're going to talk about today. The first thing that a blind spot could be called is an area where a person's view is obstructed, or it's an area where a person lacks understanding. You often don't see it coming. You often don't feel it in your life. You often don't even know it's there. And often that means that the enemy exploits this. Common blind spots that I want to address today that are in our lives is often, um, and I want to focus today on are our past, our insecurities, and our ego. So blind spots. It's just like you're in, you're in a car and you're learning to drive, you know. It takes a little bit of difficulty and skill to develop, um, to be able to check your blind spot. You know, I remember when I first started driving, Dad's like, make sure you check your blind spot. And I'm like, cool, with the steering wheel, but I'm turning the steering wheel as I'm checking my blind spot and like merging into a completely different lane and things like that. And it was a bit dangerous to start. Um, or you do like, or he would get mad at me because I'd just spend like five seconds checking my blind. He's like, it's a look, it's a check. It's not a, it's not a have a look around and tell me the number plate of the car behind you. Um, 
But yeah, when we first learn how to do it, we often end up taking the wheel of us, like I talked about, or not checking far enough or hanging back there way too long. And sometimes that causes us to swerve a little or be a little unsafe at times. But as we continue to learn how to drive and check our blind spots, it becomes a mindless habit and it's the same in our own life. If we don't check our blind spots, not only do we put ourselves at risk, our car at risk, those in our car at risk, but other cars and people on the road too. One thing I've learned is that blind spots commonly stop us from allowing people in our life to address them. I don't know if you've ever been in a car with someone that's not a great driver, but they're very confident that they are a great driver. And if you make one sudden movement, they're like, what are you doing? I'm a great driver. And you're just like, Ooh, I feel really unsafe right now. Um, and yeah, people sometimes get sensitive about their driving. And maybe it's because in the past, they've only experienced others telling them that they're a bad driver. Or maybe because they're tired from all the driving that they have to do. Or maybe it's because they have a false idea of how great of a driver they are and that little comment actually really hurts, especially when they're not a good driver. Then we pair the sensitivity of driving and the idea that most people are conflict avoidant because of how hard, scary and uncomfortable it can be. And we just have to hope that other people check their blind spots and move on. But that's not the best way to do it because that results in people living their lives in a way where they won't go out of their way to address things in their life, even though it may be hurting themselves or others. It becomes our responsibility as people, especially as people in the church, to go out and find people that will help us check our blind spots, that will speak into our lives that we trust. You can't get rid of the blind spots in your life, but you can get eye-openers. People that when the bend's a bit too tight or things are moving a bit too fast, we can't quite see well enough to see what's coming, that they will help us to check properly, that they will help us to check that there's no danger. People that can love you and reveal to you your blind spots. And so I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, you know, the type of friends we need that help us check these blind spots. And I think that a man in the Bible that actually did a really great job of this is King David. If you don't know who King David is in the Bible, he's that guy that killed Goliath that we always talk about. Um, he's also referred to as Israel's greatest king. Um, he wasn't perfect, but he was often regarded as a man after God's own heart. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest compliments you can ever see, like receive. And he was, has one really well-known um, failure. There's a song about it. Um, <laughs> but too many successes to count. The right people helped him become the right person, helped them become the greatest he could be. Each of his friends helped them through compassion and not condemnation. Condemnation looks down on others, but compassion seeks the good of others. Despite his well-known mistake, he did a lot of great things for God and is regarded as yeah, one of the greatest men in the Bible. And there are three types of friends that David had that checked some of his blind spots along the way. The first friend that David had was Samuel, a friend who makes you better despite your past. So before David was king, there was Saul. Saul was the people's king they chose in. They were like, this guy's real tall. He looks pretty ripped. He looks pretty, um, like, he just looks so good. Like, he's pretty, he's pretty good looking. Like, 
he must make a good king because we all know that good-looking people are the best people, apparently. Um, But God kind of rejects Saul, and he says to Samuel the prophet at the time, I want you to anoint the next king. I'm going to, like, tell you how to do it, all this. And so Samuel's like, cool. And so God picks David's family, and Samuel asks for Jesse, David's father, to present all of his sons so Samuel could anoint the next king. And son after son came forward, and Samuel's like, this isn't the same him. Nah, not this one, not this one. And he goes through all the sons. And he's like, um, is this all the sons you have? Do you see, like, God doesn't often get this wrong. Like, is it, like, what's going on? And, yeah, David's father didn't even bother to bring David out. He left him as a shepherd boy, tending the sheep. Um, and, yeah, he didn't even believe that David, his own son, a father who's supposed to believe in their children more than anything, that his son could be the next king, that he didn't even bother to present him to the prophet. That God doesn't look at what man looks at, and so we reach First Samuel 16, verse 12 to 13. And the Lord said, oh, wait, I think I put more on there. Oh, yeah. So we, he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, on the spirit of the Lord, And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. There wasn't a single person who thought David could become king. Not even his family. His father didn't even bother to present him to Samuel. But Samuel's different. Samuel knows that God chose David. So Samuel believed in David. David, thanks to Samuel, went from being a lowly shepherd boy from a giant family, one of the youngest, to a giant slayer and a king. This is David's origin story. This is David's belief moment. This is David's moment where Samuel didn't care about the past that he came from. He cared about that God called him here and now. God put it on one man's heart. God has chosen you. His hand is on you. Do your friends, maybe your friends from work, maybe your friends from childhood, maybe your friends from wherever, sport, hobbies, whatever, old family friends maybe, do they believe that you can be better? Do they make you better? Proverbs 22 and 17, one of the most famous verses is, iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Do your friends think of you as a lowly shepherd boy that they believe will one day become king? Or do they think that you're going to be stuck in a field among the sheep for the rest of your life? David had another friend in the Bible, probably his most famous friend, and that was Jonathan. And he was a friend who helped him Um, find spiritual strength despite David's insecurities. 
So now we're at this point in life where David meets this other friend. He's just been anointed king. Um, Saul's really unhappy about it um, and wants to kill David. Um, But David is kind of beloved by the people at this point. He's seen as a war hero. There are singing songs where they're saying, you know, Saul's victorious over thousands, but David's victorious over 10,000. Like David's the man. Saul's kind of old news. Um, You know, he slayed Goliath, led the Israelite armies to countless victories. And Saul is now not only a rejected king from God, but the people. They're starting to turn against him. Saul is overwhelmed with hatred and jealousy. And because he is still king, decides, I've got to do something about this. Um, So we get to 1 Samuel 23, 15 to 16, and it says, while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, I'm making these all up. If you say it confidently enough, then like you guys think I'm saying it right. Um, so while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, the son of the man that's trying to kill David, cared more about his friendship with David than what his father's orders were, what the king's orders were. Jonathan defied that. Jonathan offered encouragement in the most discouraging time that David's ever faced. Jonathan encouraged David to lean into the Lord and to lean into his faith. When David was down, Jonathan lifted him. When David was alone, Jonathan comforted him. When David was discouraged, Jonathan encouraged. He spoke out belief and he prayed for him. Even those closest to God will face temptations and discouragements. When you're down, do you have someone that lifts you? When you're alone, do you have someone that comforts you? Friends that encourage you with scripture can sometimes be the most annoying friends that you can have, but also some of the greatest friends, they're the friends that you know are praying for you, that are interceding for you on your behalf, that are just saying secret little prayers every now and then that you don't even know about. They're fighting for you without you even knowing. They're providing you with spiritual strength. Do you have this? If not, you could be one friend away from changing your destiny. You need friends that make you better, but you also need friends that help you find spiritual strength. We now get to this point in David's life where he's kind of made it, you know? He went through this hard point in life where, oh my gosh, I was like a shepherd boy, now I, then I became like a giant slayer, now I'm like one of the greatest kings in Israel, and I went through this hard time where people were trying to kill me, but now like I'm pretty on top of the world, to be honest. Like, I've overcome a little bit of everything. Like, And David, I think, kind of starts to believe, like, I'm I'm the king, like, I'm, I'm, I'm him, I'm the man, I can do whatever I want. Um, you know, he was a great king, people loved him, he managed to outdo Saul, and he helped God's purpose for not only his life, but others' life come to pass, like, he was doing good. So we now get to the lowest point of David's life. So confusing. How? He was doing so well. Things were going so great for him. And David makes this massive mistake. 
David commits adultery. The whole story can be found in 2 Samuel 12, but I'm just going to read a little bit so that, that... So, right, he commits adultery and God sends Nathan, David's next friend, a friend who tells you the truth despite our ego. And he sends the prophet Nathan, David's friend, to set David straight. And Nathan tells David the story of, you know, there was a rich man with a giant flock of sheep and a poor man with only one lamb, which he had brought and raised. This lamb was like a member of the family, practically a child. One day, a traveler visited the rich man, and the rich man was too stingy to give the traveler a sheep from his own flock, and instead took the poor man's lamb and prepared it as a meal for the traveler. David then explodes in anger. And he says to Nathan, any man who would do that sort of thing deserves to die, basically. He needs to be repaid, like he needs to repay the poor man at least four times over. And then my favorite line of all time, if we can skip to the next slide, please, is in 2 Samuel 7, and he literally says, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. <laughs> like, he's just straight up at him. He's not like, yeah, I see your point there. Like, maybe if you tried to think of your own situations in your life where this could apply. No, he's just like, David, you did that. Um, and he then tells him um, of all the good favor and blessings he had received from God and then says the harsh truth that there will be massive consequences to his actions. And Nathan then tells him that after he has faced what he has done, there will be good things again. Nathan loved David through his mistakes. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. And I think this was a real act of bravery on Nathan's behalf because the higher you rise, the harder it is to actually tell people the truth. You don't want to be the person that kicks your friend down and knocks him down a peg when they're looking like they're on top of the world but sometimes you have to love your friends enough to do it. Nathan confronted a king, a king who had all this power, this king that had all this resources. He had all of basically everything. And Nathan risked not only his relationship with David in telling him the truth, but he also risked his own life. Proverbs 27, 5-6 to says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Do you have friends that call you to a high standard, that call you to the truth? If you do, would you rather they caused you short-term pain for long-term gain or that they kept their mouth shut and let you live to a lower and lower standard? David could have turned around and decided, no, Nathan, I don't want none of this. Chopping your head off and you're heading out the door. But luckily, David is a king of good character, a king who was close to God, a king who already had friends that believed in him, had friends that offered him spiritual strength, so he knew of the goodness that was truly in Nathan's heart. He viewed Nathan's truth-telling as a sign of kindness and of compassion. So we're at this point where, you know, we've seen three of David's great friends. Um, and I talked about before relational poverty. Um, and I think sometimes our current friends, because of that relational poverty, that lack of 
having friendships around us, we kind of become friends with people that we do and not friends and not wait around to really invest in the friendships that are going to be the best for us. Maybe you have current friends that are going through really tough times, but you've kind of noticed that you're being sucked in. Maybe they're dealing with things like addiction or um, divorce or things that are hard, like really hard, really emotional things, but they're not venting to you to help you and they're not treating you in the same way that you're showing compassion to them. And it kind of leads our current friends to push our lives in a worse off way sometimes. Because you could be one friendship away from a better marriage. You could be one friendship away from overcoming addiction. You could be one friendship away from leaving depression, getting in better shape, maybe even becoming a stronger leader. You could be one friendship away from having an encounter with God. Your issues can be hidden in a blind spot, but your solutions to a problem can also be in a blind spot too. We have to resist our ego. We have to humble ourselves. We have to resist the urge to sometimes say, I'm strong enough to go through this. I'm strong enough to be friends with this person. I can really help them and realize that actually the person that needs the true help is me. And I'm trying to cover up what I'm going through with what this person's going through. Because that seems way easier to deal with than dealing with my own problems. I have a lot of friends who have done this in the past. And I have a lot of friends that will continue to do this in the future. We have to resist our ego. We have to humble ourselves. We also have to resist the urge when people speak truth into our lives to kind of say, you don't know my life and you don't know my problems, so you actually don't know what you're talking about. I think that's actually a great point for them, to, for you to be making because they have an outside perspective to what's going on in your own life. How many times are you spiritually trying to fit into a really tight parking spot but don't have an outside perspective to help you check your blind spots? So, here are three really easy things that we can do to find our blind spots. The first thing is we have to look in the mirror before we point the finger. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us things that we need to work on. You know, there's so many Psalms where David says, search me, O God, investigate my heart, look at me, what am I going on? Like, what's going on in my life? What, what's the issue in me? You know, Psalm 139.23, which is probably one of the best verses that you can pray. If Don't pray it if you really don't want to figure out what's going on in your life, but it's a great prayer to pray. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We need to repent. We need to confess. And we need to do this regularly. We have to deny our ego and look in the mirror. The second thing that we need to find our blind spots is we have to find eye openers and add them to our inner circle. We have to look for people that lead with compassion, not condemnation. Recently, I heard someone say, and it kind of like hit me in the chest a little bit, you know, when someone really delivers a word to you and you're like, oh, ouch, that hurt a little bit. I heard someone say, if your heart isn't breaking for them, 
you better not open your mouth about them. And that's kind of the whole idea of leading with compassion and condemn instead of condemnation. If you don't know who these people should be, who these eye-openers should be, look for leaders, look for people that you trust, look for people that have empathy for others, that have hopes and dreams not only for themselves, but they have hopes and dreams for other people. Um, people that you see are championing others, people who are doing the best with what they have and what they know. And then the last thing that you need to do for that is that you actually have to ask them. You actually have to ask them. And when we ask them, we actually have to trust what they say. Because like I said before, people are so conflict averse right now that they don't, like, if something's going on in someone's life, I don't want to be like, listen, like, I don't want to point out something in you that's causing an issue and then you get upset with me. But if you walk up to me and you say, hey, I feel like something like this is going on in my life. Will you be an eye-opener in my life? Oh, don't worry. I'll be your eye-opener. I'll let you know. And I have friends like that for me as well. Like, um, There's been numerous times where I've been going through a situation and then I'll go to Anna and I'm like, most of the time it's Anna Cooper. I'll be like to her, I'll be like, okay, so like I'm really angry about this. This is the situation. Can you offer me a perspective I haven't seen that may change my mind? And then... So, to find out if I'm truly overreacting or if I'm actually in the right. Most of the time I'm in the right, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but truth and accountability matter. Jesus shows us all throughout scripture how we can be bring truth and accountability to our own and others' lives in a way that's helpful. Um, you know, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Our inner circle and our eye-openers want what's best for us, and through them um, we will receive words full of truth, accountability, and compassion, and we need to trust them. If I could just get keys up, that would be cool. I just wanted to end by reading out this verse to you. It's from Galatians 6, and I think it really encapsulates the idea of living as a community of followers, of doing good to others, and treat, um, reaching out to others as well as making sure that we're protected within. So Galatians 6, 1 to 10 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. But each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family 
of lawyers. We've been talking about how, um, what kind of friends we need and how they help us through our blind spots. And I think, you know, we often get wrapped up in the pain of the past or the uncertainty of today or our ego and sometimes the inability to humble ourselves and allow ourselves to be humbled by God and those God has trusted to actually speak into our lives. Sometimes we must be the, our scariest, saddest, most pain-inducing places to reach the happiness that's lying on the other side. And being a true friend isn't always telling others that there's a brighter day and a happier place on the other side, but rather having the patience and the compassion and the kindness to walk with someone to the other side. We as a church can separate ourselves by being friends that don't let our friends stay down by their past. We can be friends that don't let um, our friends go with a lack of encouragement or spiritual strength. And we can also separate ourselves by not avoiding that courageous conversation about behaviours or blind spots in someone's life in order to see them reach their full potential. God wants more for us in our friendships. If your current friends are cynical, depressing, and making you worse, making you feel better, not helping you but hurting you, you need new friends. You are one friend away from being in a better relationship with your family, from reigniting passion in your job, from finding support through mental health struggles, from becoming a stronger leader, from overcoming hardship. One friend away. You could be one friend away from living the life God has promised you. I just want to take a second. Um, I want to pray for some people so everyone would like to close their eyes and bow their heads. Um, if you're someone that maybe needs a friend like Samuel or a friend like Jonathan or a friend like Nathan, then um, I would really encourage you to join a connect group somewhere in this church. Really find friends that are based on the foundations of God that look to how to be great friends and how to be great people. But I actually want to pray for people too, um, today that want to become those sorts of friends. Maybe you're someone that wants to become a Samuel in someone's life that helps others see past their past and actually move into the better future that's been called upon them. Or maybe you're someone that wants to be a Jonathan to someone and offer spiritual strength when they're maybe at their lowest point. Um, or maybe you're someone that uh, wants to become a Nathan friend and have the bravery to actually speak truth into others' lives. So if that's you, I'd love if you wanted to raise your hand and I'll pray with you today. Oh, I see this hand being put them down. Anyone want strength to be a better friend today? Awesome. God, I pray for every single person in this room, especially those that raise their hands, that have noticed that they may have let things slip in their friendships, that may have not been the Samuel or the Jonathan or the Nathan that you've called them to be, God. If there's someone that wants to become a Samuel, God, I pray that um, 
you would offer them the wisdom and the insight to be able to help others push past their past and step into their future. If there's someone that wants to become a Jonathan friend, God, I pray for spiritual strength in themselves and an overflowing of um, you and your spirit so that they're able to offer that spiritual strength to others, Father. And I also pray for the friends that want to become Nathan friends, that you would offer them the discernment and the wisdom to be able to know when and how to speak truth into others. I also pray that you give them compassion so that they would lead with love and not with condemnation. I thank you for everybody here in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet. That's it for us today. Um, finish a little bit early, but that's good. Um, so if, um, yeah, if you're someone that has none of these friends and needs to connect with, please come and speak to someone. Any person that's been on the stage, we're going to sing out Sarah, Sarah, if you want to like, wave your If you're not in one and you want one, find Sarah, Sarah will help you um, find a connect group. Um, or any believers that have been up today, Bruna, Anna, me, whoever, will help you find someone because um, we're really pushing into a time where um, to receive that blessing and to receive that next level of knowledge in God and that next level of everything basically and step into that new point in our lives we need community around us that's going to encourage us to get over our insecurities, to get over our past and to get over our ego to truly embrace what God has for us so if you're looking for that please see Sarah see me, see Roma, see Anna, see someone and we'll get onto a connect group but otherwise um, see you guys all later Craig and Trina back next week so I'm sure he'll talk about um, Las Vegas or the Grand Canyon or whatever the heck that they've been doing the whole time. And that it'll be mostly a show and tell, not even a message. Um, but yeah, otherwise, um, it was great to have you here. Stick around, have a coffee, hang out. Get to know someone, make a friend today. <laughs>